Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast. I'm joined today with Donald Lutz, who is an enterprise architect. And today we're going to be talking a ton of service mesh goodness, primarily around Linkerd. But as all service mesh conversations go, I'm sure we'll get into a few of the other ones. Donald, what's up, man? How's it going? It's good. Yeah, everything's good. I'm in South Dakota. It didn't snow today. It snowed yesterday. It's pretty bright. Things are good. Wow. Well, I'm in New Jersey where uh, global warming is at its finest because it's about 75 degrees outside right now in November. Uh, pros and cons, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I had good friends who lived in Jersey. I mean, I used to visit them years ago. You know, it was sort of, you know, it was never where I wanted to live, but, you know, they, they loved it, you know. <laughs> well, to be fair, it's not where I want to live either, but that's a separate conversation. So, <laughs> so service mesh, I mean, this, uh, you, you're, you're writing a book on it uh, at packet right now, which of course we'll, we'll dive into and talk about, and we'll be able to plug all that good stuff at the end. But service mesh is interesting because, you know, I, I was, I was chatting uh, on an earlier podcast today and we were kind of talking about what Kubernetes is and the way that I always explain Kubernetes is like, you know, if you've ever walked into a house before when the builders just put it up it's pretty much just wooden insulation. There's no plumbing. There's no electric. There's no anything. You kind of have to choose your own adventure. And I feel like that's the same way that it is with Kubernetes. Like Kubernetes is just like this API that has a scheduler that does some stuff with pods or containers. But like you have to choose your own adventure and what you want to do, what CSIs you want, what CNIs you want, all that stuff. And one of the big things that are happening right now in the choose your own adventure is service mesh. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about, you know, what kind of brought you down the service mesh path. Well, it started, honestly, when I started using Kubernetes a long time ago and I was doing stuff with a, one of the research labs for the cable industry. And, you know, the part of the reason the service mesh became because you'd kind of look at all the different development teams I interact with in that scenario. And they would, you know, they using different, you know, libraries. Netflix is different ones and they embed all this stuff in their code and it was nightmarish, you know, and they'd start deploying a lot of containers and then, you know, they wouldn't, there would be some observability in some things, some things didn't have observability, some people didn't have monitoring, you know, and then they go fix it, they have to do releases and then the whole idea of service mesh, you know, made it so much simpler because you could take all those things, security, authentication, observability, the whole idea and wrap it around and you could just focus on in the business logic of the microservices and not have this, you know, God class client library. And uh, I have to tell you, that was sometimes hard to accomplish with uh, software developers because they don't like giving away that power to things they don't understand. Even things like Kubernetes to them is like annoying. Right, right. Yeah, no, that, I, I think that absolutely makes sense. And I think right now the we're always in this chicken and egg scenario with Kubernetes because, you know, as we know, technical marketing is super good in today's world. <laughs> and it tells us that Kubernetes is the hot new thing and everybody's using it and yada, yada. But then when you kind of peel back the onion, you realize that's not the case because of many reasons. But one that you just mentioned, you know, developers are so used to not having to do things in this fashion that they kind of don't want to give up the power in that sense. Because I think that when you when you containerize an application and when you give it to Kubernetes, you're uh, giving up a lot of power, but at the same time, you're gaining a lot. Yeah. And I also view that it's interesting because some of the development teams I've worked with before I am now and in the previous, a lot of, you know, the whole DevOps thing that, you know, in our world, we think it's good, even though I sort of come from enterprise architects to infrastructure. 
you know, they don't like the DevOps principles in a certain sense, even though they've done Scrum, Kanban, name your, you know, domain-driven design, name your specific poison. But to them, DevOps is like having, I don't want to just manage it and do all this other stuff. I want some person to take care of all that, and I don't need to understand it. So then, you know, that gets into another discussion. And then I, you know, and then you'll hear, oh, well, YAML is evil, and I don't want to touch that. Why do we have to have another thing? And, you know, they're just wild conversations. Sometimes, you know, it's like YAML is really easy. Just, you know, find an editor and have it deal with the spacing problem. But, you know, it's just amazing how those things can cause people such headaches. Yeah. And, you know, I think it really has to go back to like what tech was before and what it is now. I don't know how long you've been in the, in just tech. Long enough that, you know, (laughs) there you go. Exactly. So, you know, like I remember the days where you could be the exchange person, you could be the active directory person, you could ride that thing out in your career and not much changed. Now it's like, you know, the, the, the old methodology was update yourself, self every two to five years. Now it's like update yourself every three to six months because things are changing so rapidly. There's constantly new tools. There's constantly new methodologies, new ways of doing things. So the engineers that are not used to that, you know, or that have been in tech for so long that don't want to make the transition into the new world that we're in today, I think they're typically the ones that have the transitional problem. Yeah, I would agree. They do. And I mean, I've had, I had this conversation this week, you know, and they're sort of like, you know, well, this cloud native is, you know, I know it's got Kubernetes and cloud native. And then I said, well, it's not really brand new. There was this concept called the 12 factor app that was done years ago with Heroku. It's the whole yeah. idea of configuration and all this. So isn't it new? It's just repackaged. So whatever the word you call it, it's not different. You're just saying, okay, I'm going to have an orchestration engine and I'm going to let it do these things. And then I'm going to have these other things. And it's sort of, you know, it's not brand new. It's just repackaged with a different format, but everybody thinks it's new. And because of, as you mentioned, the wonderful marketing name, your company, then everybody's like, oh, well, I, I don't know what I should do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the same thing with service mesh, right? Like we've had load balancing, we've had uh, MTLS, we've had circuit breakers. Like we've had all of these things for a while. Like this isn't something new. It's just more something that's, prepackaged into what feels new because it's, you know, multiple different things happening at once. Yeah. And the service mesh is, you know, is a great concept and, you know, it isn't a great concept if you have two microservices, you know, I mean, even (laughs) Kubernetes is probably not a great concept if you have, you know, it's sort of like, where do you want to go? I mean, when you start having hundreds of, you know, containers and you're releasing a lot and you've got into a nice rhythm of how much you release and how often you need service mesh. And that really has value. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, you know, it gets you there because you really need those things. You don't want to have to do manual service discovery, make weird DNS, use the Hysterix library. I mean, all those things are problem, you know, you know, with Linkerd, all of that's handled for you. You know, it, it, it's got a nice smooth interface. It makes things easy, but you know, you're basically saying, okay, I'm going to give up this kind of stuff to another thing. You know, it gets into the whole platform engineering thing that is starting to happen where people are starting to say, well, DevOps is evolving really into platforms. And to me, Kubernetes is one of those platforms. It may Mm -hmm. be the platform in the end. Serverless may even be in there as a platform. You know, we could debate that too, but that's sort of coming. So, you know, people have to understand that that Kubernetes, you know, there's a great book called Production Kubernetes or Kubernetes, you know, that talks about that concept of with Kubernetes. You know, it's funny. That's arguably my favorite book. 
whenever whenever I need to reference something, I always go back and I always take a look at that book. So yeah, that book is awesome for everybody that's listening. Production Kubernetes, uh, I think O'Reilly published it. Super, super good book. Um, you, you So Donald, you bring up a good point where, you know, so well, you brought up several good points, but something that really stuck out to me was understanding if you need something like a service mesh. So, you know, I, I this is what I always say with consulting, because, you know, being an independent consultant, I have to think in a certain way. There's two types of consultants. There's either one where you're hired to do a job and you just go and you do the job. Or there's the other type of consultant, which in my opinion is the real consultant, where somebody calls you and they say, hey, we need this thing and, and we need this and we need that. And you go and you ask, well, why? Are you sure that you need that? Okay, actually, maybe you might not need that. Maybe you can go in a different direction and make it easier. So for example, a lot of the times like I'll hear, hey, we want a service mesh. Cool. Why? Well, we want to do, uh, you know, ingress routing. Okay, well, then maybe you just need an ingress controller. Or maybe the conversation goes, well, we just need MTLS. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe you could just implement something like Calico as your CNI and do pod-to-pod encryption that way instead of having to implement a whole service mesh. Because, you know, something like a service mesh, for example, you got to worry about the control plane. Is it sitting on an existing cluster? Is it sitting on a new one? Is it going to be external? What about the data plane? Are you comfortable running sidecars? Do you know that when the the sidecar needs to update for the data plane, the whole pod has to go down? It, th- there's all these things that I feel like a lot of folks don't think about. So I think there, there's always two sides to the conversation, which is, okay, you want this thing? That's great. But the solution that you think that you may need, you may not need, and we could probably get you a little bit of an easier solution. Now, from a service mesh perspective, I think that it's a great technology overall, but to your point, there are certain service meshes like Linkerd that make things a little bit easier, and there are others that have a plethora of implementations, but organizations may not need them. Yeah, I can give an example. of I was an enterprise architect for a a company in the rail industry, it was a multi-billion dollar company, and they were, you know, in a legacy .NET, IIS, they brought me in to move into microservices, you know, so we, you know, we went to AKS because it would be a lot easier, Not raw Kubernetes would have been, a, you know, had them crazy, and we did Linkerd because they were going to have a lot of services, but like Istio, you know, the ability for them to manage Istio after I was gone was close mm-hmm. to zero. I mean, they couldn't even get their layer two routes to work effectively because they had punched so, much, so many holes in the firewall. They didn't even know where things were going. So, you know, when you when you talk to people like that and then, you know, you give them a class on Docker and it takes like four hours to get them through like building a Docker file, you begin to realize, you know, and they're like, well, we really need Istio because we need the best service mesh. I'm like, you need simple. You don't need the best because you're going to get complicated. Or they come back and say, we need Knative. I'm like, no, I think you should just run Azure Functions. It'll be a lot easier for you guys. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and that's another good point as well, I think, with service mesh and, and overall Kubernetes in general. We're, we're at a weird time with Kubernetes. I always think about it like there are people on the left and people on the right. The people on the right are, you know, the Mercedes that's running over a thousand Kubernetes clusters. So they clearly know what they're doing. And there's the people on the left that are like Kuber what, right? Like they're just running, they're, they're just writing their first Nginx Kubernetes deployment manifest file. So the, the people in the middle, 
are very few and far in between. And the problem with that is, is that when you go in and implement a solution, a lot of the times they're not going to know how to maintain it. So people are all for let's get this thing up and running. But what happens in six months, in a year, in five years? This is, you know, the whole idea of a platform like Kubernetes is not like a Linux box that you can put a binary on and it's going to run for 10 years and you don't got to do anything. It's, it's So it's it's very much about like what you're implementing, but also are you implementing it for the success of the business, just like you said. Right. And the success of the business is always in that conversation. And my discussion is always, you know, you need to really think about this platform idea and how applications, business requirements and infrastructure are all merging to one. That's part of, you know, and you could still have it in a data center, but the viewpoint needs to be that's all merging. They're not separate. You're not going to just deploy infrastructure and some microservices and say, oh, these are all independent because then you're creating this silo thing that caused a lot of problems in the first place. Yep. And even having that discussion is just interesting because people are like, oh, I never thought of that. You know what I mean? And how do you maintain things? What's the methodology? You know, if you're going to get into Kubernetes, maybe you should get like Rancher and have a management platform because that might be easier. You know what I mean? Yep. And then, yep. they, well, you never thought about that, you know, because, you know, they kind of view it as, you know, I'll just write some PowerShell scripts and then you get into a whole bunch of other discussions. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And that's why, you know what? I use uh, something called Portainer just exactly for that, for that management level of, you know, getting the people in the middle where it's like, hey, um, you know, you got all these Kubernetes manifests, you got all these ingress, you got all these deployments, but maybe you're not on the far left, maybe you're not on the far right, maybe you're right in the middle from, from a knowledge perspective, something like Portainer, something like Rancher, you know, obviously solutions there. So let me ask you a question. I'm, it just popped into my head as you were talking and I'm kind of diverging in a different direction. That's okay. Speaking of the microservices piece, <clears throat> now when I think of microservices, I think standalone binaries that don't have any dependencies, right? But what about when it comes to something like sidecars? So here, here's my problem with sidecars, and obviously this is a big part of service mesh in general. When you have a sidecar and you put it into a pod and you have a multi-container pod, you're kind of setting yourself up for dependencies. So doesn't, and, and I could be wrong here, and I'm, I'm always curious to get people's thoughts on this, but doesn't that concept kind of like push you out of the true idea of a microservice? It does. It does. You know, I mean, it's, you know, the whole idea is it's a single responsibility in in in, in a, DDD method, demand-driven design, you, you, a bounded context is one thing like order tickets. It shouldn't do anything else. Right. So the problem is you've created a leak, you know, just so you can gain those advantages of not using a library everywhere. So you have to decide, does not using a library ev everywhere give me benefits versus having the sidecar thing, which then gets into the whole EPBF and, you know, is that the right way to go and how should we approach it? So it, it you know, it's, you know, you're giving up one thing for another thing, you know, and it's not, you know, you're sort of leaking things out that you might not want. Yep, exactly. And you know what? I, I wish they would have kept this. I forget if it was Istio or Linkerd that had this, but at some point, one of those had uh, a data plane that was a proxy that would run on your worker node. It was, and, I think it was Linkerd, the old version. Yeah. And it, I think that was a great concept. I mean, now, I understandably, right, if that one proxy is handling 10 services, 
there's going to be some bog there. I can understand why that would be a little bit slower and probably not the ideal solution for a large environment. But if they could have come up with an idea to scale that out, I feel like that could have been the the de facto standard. I don't disagree. I think it was. I think part of it was the whole, you know, won't will you will the proxies overrun everything? I mean, if you look at something like Kafka, that has interesting ideas of you know because it's asynchronous, you can use huge proxies with that, not kill everything. You know what I mean? So then it gets into the whole synchronous versus asynchronous, and how do you play that, and where should that be? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's a huge discussion in itself, but yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into service mesh. I mean, we're, we're a little over 16 minutes in and, and, and we've, we've barely started talking about the good things, right? We've been talking a lot about like the, the, what can ultimately happen if you decide to implement it. So that point being is like, there's, there's a lot of thought that needs to go into this. It's not something that just, you know, an organization can just turn on and poof, you're, you're ready to go. Um, so turning the conversation a little bit to, to Linkerd and cause that's, you know, arguably I would say your, your specialty from a service mess perspective, why, why Linkerd over, you know, something like Istio. Now I know we were talking a little bit about, cause Istio is obviously, uh, more complex, but at the same time, it's, you know, one of the, the most popular and most used great documentation, all that stuff. So what kind of pointed you towards that or like, instead of, uh, well, I like their, connector, you know, the sidecars were written in Rust and, you know, they're fast and they don't have memory leaks. Uh, they're, you know, their mutual TLS is really good. You don't have to spend a lot of time with it. It works fairly transparently. Installation you can do from Helm or Kube, Cuddle, you know, it all works really well. It's pretty simple to use and it, it gives you the nice Prometheus stuff out of the box. Mm-hmm. It's easy to, you know, add attributes to your YAML that work really well. So I find it, you know, it's a simplistic approach and they sort of, you know, buoyant kind of handled a lot of things out of the box. So the complexity comes if you have a weird situation and it doesn't fit those, then you have to figure out how do you want to do it? Like, Oh, well, honestly, I need to integrate this kind of different open telemetry thing because of what we're doing. And then you have to kind of look at how you're going to create that integration. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so you bring up a good point with linger D number one, I've, I've, the, the the three that I've primarily used is uh, Istio, Console Connect, and Linkerd. Linkerd was always the easiest one to get up and running. To your point, I love the fact that uh, Prometheus is built in, so you don't really have to do much of anything else, which is great. And the other thing too is that I like that you can um what is that what is the uh, the UI called Kiali. That's yeah. the open source UI, right? They're open source, and they also have a couple. They've they've added some more dashboard things. They keep on expanding to make the, you know, really good. And I think it's you know they they keep on improving it. Those guys are always adding, you know. There's some companies picked it because they were able to run so many services with it and it didn't blow up like you saw sometimes with Istio. Right, right. Yeah, no, I I definitely love that fact. Like if you need something like a real from a real time monitoring perspective to go in see what's happening in your environment. It's definitely a cool touch. So what has been, you know, it, it could be any service mesh, but what has been your biggest challenge to date in terms of implementing service mesh? Uh, the one I named earlier is that getting, Got it. you know, you realize that you have, so the example was that rail company I mentioned, they were going to have a lot of microservices. 
So realizing that we need to get that going and their IT staff was really addicted to PowerShell and the data center, mm-hmm. you know, and we're not familiar with, you know, Docker, Kubernetes, Service Mesh, you know, and there are 40 developers. So I view myself as an evangelist. I had to go in there and get everybody on the same page. I got hired by the executive management team to get them all to understand why we were doing it, you know, and the struggle really was, hey, you know, let's get this deployed. Let's start thinking about, you know, how do we use API gateways with this? How do they fit in? Do we, you know, all of those things have to be played out. Should I use some features in the API gateway versus in the service mess? Where, you know, where should I do my routing? Where should I put my policies? You know, because just because you have service mesh, it really just to me is reliability, observability, security, and some kind of tracing. And it intercepts everything in between so you don't lose those values and you have to touch the code. But then you have all these other things you have to start thinking about, oh, where does my routing go? How do I handle it? What if I have to bring in gRPC? What's the right way to go? There's lots of stuff there. Right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's a lot. But at the same time, I do think if it's implemented correctly and at the right time, you know, of course, if somebody's just starting out with Kubernetes and they're two weeks into building their environment, they probably don't have to think about service mesh at that point. But if if the environment is ready and they're ready for the challenges and they're ready for the complexity of taking it on, it doesn't implement a lot out of the box. I mean, here's the thing too, and I always think about this from a security perspective. Pod to pod communication, service to service communication, it's all unencrypted. So yep. out of the box, I don't know if Linkerd does this out of the box. I think it does, but at least with Istio, it does out of the box. It does. Out of the box. Yeah, like MTLS is just on. You just you don't even have to do anything. Like it's just there. So to that point, have you ever been in an, in a scenario where that it, because everything was encrypted from a, a traffic in transit perspective, things were a little bit slower or a little bit bogged down or any issues in that fashion? Yeah, there was a FinOps company years ago that I was involved with in everything. They because of they were doing really crazy things with the federal government. Everything was affected by that completely. Because oh, wow. there were multi, there were multiple levels because they had so, you know, the infosec people were so neurotic about who could see what, who could touch what. So you had VPNs, you know, TLS, uh, crazy encryption, all kinds of goofy things. How often do you change keys? You know, it was really slow. You know, it was so slow it was unbelievable. So and that's a scenario we would never would have brought them a service mesh. And, but that right. was really driven by that in a lot of these large companies, the InfoSec people are such a siloed group. They can dictate how these things and say, if you don't follow our standards, you can't use it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and if people have never experienced that, it's amazing to me. I, I see this happen even past week. You know, InfoSec guys have a lot of power and it's amazing. They can even stop any executive from implementing something their business or their sector group needs to do because they say it's not following our standards. Right. Yeah. And you know, that's, I always feel like that's such a tricky situation. It's to me, it's always thinking about everything from like a defense in depth perspective, you know, like at the end of the day, you cannot stop all risk. You can only mitigate as much as you can, but at the same time, the lights still need to be on and the applications still need to, they need to succeed still, right. They still need to flow. So it's like, you know, Implement what you can to be as secure as possible, but 
you know, at the same time, putting up a million roadblocks, it, it, it kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just make people say you should read the Phoenix project and read about how half of the things they couldn't deploy was because security had always stopped them from doing whatever they were doing. Exactly. Oh, it's a great book, by the way, for if every, if anybody's listening and has not read that book, which I would be incredibly surprised, go buy that book. That's uh, it's arguably one of the best books, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it's, there's, you know, it's, it's weird because we got all these tools, we got all these platforms, we got all these things that we can do. And some of them are good. Some of them are bad. You know, from a security perspective, it's like block everybody in your whole environment with this, but it's like, do we really want to do that? And yeah, it's, it's, it goes into a million and one different things. So that example that you just brought up there around the fact that like, because of a certain, because of the way that a certain environment was set up, having something like service mesh may not be a good option. So that goes, you know, that kind of circles back to the beginning of the conversation where it's like, are you implementing it for the right reasons? Do you actually need it? What is it going to do? All that good stuff. I agree. I mean, I normally, when I talk about service mesh, I said, you know, we're talking about tracing, observability, security, all of these things. If, if you're not sure you need this and you can handle it with what you have, start small don't add that in because, you know, you're just taking on Kubernetes and that alone is making you nervous because you're sort of, you know, and you're already nervous about that you're containerizing, you know, and that you're using these container registries and people are concerned about that because, you know, now you have to tie your build in with these registries, which is another process in your pipeline. And you're not even sure that's done correctly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's 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 a lot of levels to this, I always say. And I think that the best thing that organizations can do overall is to prepare and plan as much as possible. And I was saying this earlier today to a colleague. Most of these organizations in today's world, because of how fast everything is going, need R&D teams. They literally need people that are conducting research based on what's going to be coming, how it's going to impact their environment, and if or if not, they can implement it. I agree with you. I mean, that rail company I mentioned, we had a, we had a team of three that there were 40 developers and I put them to be the tip of the spear to make the stuff we needed to get us into a cloud native thing. So they started doing the research. I would say, here's why we need to do this and that I had them do everything because the rest of nobody else was ready to go there. So those were the, the guys, so to speak, that could get us there because they could proceed forward. You know what I mean? you know, without having any issues. I said, okay, we're going to use service mesh, Kubernetes, Kafka. Uh, we're moving all these things. And those were the ones to lead because the rest of them really weren't, you know, they like being a visual studio and .NET 4.8 and, you know, they hadn't moved on it forever. So right. if I hadn't got those guys going, I needed a way to push the rest of them, so to speak, to kick them forward. Totally makes sense. Cool. Well, Donald, wrapping up here, I want to give you an opportunity to plug anything you'd like. Books. I don't know if you have any courses, videos, uh, your your podcast stuff, all that. Please feel free to plug away. Yeah, I mean, I do a lot for TechStrong, so uh, I'll be do. I do podcasts there a lot. I'm starting to write articles for the Container Journal. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I'm writing a book for Pact on a you know Kubernetes and Linkerd, and you know, and I you know just follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I do uh, everything I read or watch. I just put on LinkedIn, you know, so everybody, you know, gets a sense. I, I, I like to give back to the community. I also run a couple of meetups, you know, so I've got lots of things that I do. 
Awesome. Very cool. Well, Donald, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And thank you everybody for listening.